a listener production. We are going international with this week's guest on Listenable, Dylan Alcock. We're going global, baby. We really are. We'll be chatting to our guest from Canada, mm. I believe. Yeah, he's a legend. He's got a great story. But actually, at the back end of this episode as well, mm. we're going to touch on something that we saw in the news about a lady with MS who obviously has a disability that you probably can't see straight up getting abused for using a disabled park. She actually got a pretty gnarly note, didn't she? And as someone who uses the... Uh the blue and white signed park yourself. I've got some questions around it and maybe the moral and ethical dilemma around it after you at the tail end of this episode. Uh, Once again, thanks everyone for rating, uh, subscribing and sharing on social media our episodes and we're sure you're going to love this guest. Hi folks, Uh, my name is Spencer West. I am a content creator, I'm a motivational speaker, I'm an author, I love superheroes, I love playing video games, and I currently live in Toronto, Canada. I was going to ask where that delicious accent from. (laughs) So good, I'm looking forward to listening to that voice for the next 45 minutes or so. And Spencer, (laughs) what's your disability, brother? Yeah, so I was born with a genetic disease called sacralogenesis, which caused the muscles in my legs not to work. So I had two surgeries. Uh, The first was at the age of two where they removed my legs at the knee. And the idea was that I would use prosthetics to get around, but it just didn't work out. I couldn't move my legs enough to make that happen. So then at the age of five, uh, my legs were removed just below my pelvis, which is, I'm like sitting on the couch right now, but like, um, which is what what you see now. So um, yeah, so I, I navigate the world on my hands and then in a wheelchair. So for people who couldn't see you just then, you do like a little dip with your arms and you lifted up your torso. Your amputations are like probably, I'm going to be up front with you, the highest I've ever seen. So they're pretty much right. Is it under your bum or have you lost part of your bum as well? Where is it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I do have a bit of leg and a bit of like thigh left. So I would say just just like under my bum. Navigating your hand, your life on your hands you wouldn't know anything else or was the surgery so young that you do have memory of having those surgeries and your legs? I, I do have memory of my legs, just that they didn't work and that I hated having my toenails <laughs> clipped. <All right. laughs> but, you know, they, they never worked. So I always navigated the world on my hands. So, you know, when, when my legs were dis, um, amputated, it, it just it made uh, navigating the world easier because then I could sort of stand upright instead of having my legs drag behind me. Mm-hmm. So, and I do remember my surgeries. I do have memories of those because you know it was in the eighties, and in those days, your parents couldn't stay the night with you. So I remember being a kid having the surgery, and then at night, my parents would have to say goodnight and then leave. Now, obviously, you've got an incredible life, and we can't wait to hear about it over this episode. But can we talk about uh, having this amputation done in the eighties versus what would have been? Had Spencer West been born now? Do you know what, if there's any sort of technologies that might have changed what your lifestyle could be if you were five years old today? You know, I don't know technology-wise if anything would have changed necessarily. The, the, the thing about my disability is that it's still so rare and there's still so few cases that it's they don't really know what causes it. So I don't think in that regard, I'm not sure what the decision would be, but I think that the, the what would be different is the rules that exist now. You know, of course your parents can stay in the hospital with you. I think there's a lot more programs to help kids understand what they're going to go through and what that looks like and to help them deal with those things emotionally. Where in the 80s, those just didn't really exist, you know, because it was it was very sort of get in, get out and and move on with your life, so to speak. 
One thing I'm straight away impressed with about you is your confidence. You're a really confident guy. You're also killing it on social media. I just want to get a check right now. Uh, if you've got over 100,000 followers on Instagram, uh, pull your hand up. Anybody? Oh, I do. Uh, oh, Spencer's got a Angus? Mm-hmm. Okay, just making sure Angus realised. He was three out of three there, Spencer. Um, however, we'll, we'll get to how you are today, but talk us through. Hands up if you're uh, humble. <laughs> talk, talk, Spencer didn't put his hand up either. <laughs> I got nervous. Yeah, good. <laughs> Mate, talk us through you growing up. Were you always this happy guy or did you struggle with that a bit? Yeah, you, you know, I, I, I always I always was. And a part of that does genuinely come from my parents. You know, my mom was always a big proponent of let's not focus on the things that we can't do. There will be those things. But if we spend so much time on those things, we'll never really get to see the things that that are good or, or that are the positive things that we can focus on. So there was that. And I feel really grateful that I grew up in a, in a, in a Italian family. My mom is Greek and Italian. My, my dad's a whole mix of things, but um, there was a lot of love and a lot of family all of the time. And I was just encouraged to do everything that everybody else was doing along with the, you know, terrible things of like cleaning your room and helping with the mm-hmm. dishes and those sorts of things. What'd you do that for? So I think, <laughs> no, my mom refused to let that happen. I had to do all the things. <laughs> As a kid though, so you obviously had a family that was super accepting off the bat. What about once you left mm-hmm. the front door of the home? Did you navigate life on a skateboard as a lot of people do in these sort of circumstances? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I had a skateboard and, and I had one of those, I had a roller racer. It was like big in the late 80s, early 90s. Oh. It was like this triangle that you sat on you had these two bars and you like navigate oh my god like this. i do I would... remember those what was it a Can... roller racer you had like steel bars right. and that would navigate. Oh, like, i had one yeah. of them as well right and we called it the flying turtle right because it looks a bit like a turtle and you hold the two things yes. that was like yeah. how i got around before i used the wheelchair that's sick. Yeah, see i mean it took a lot more strength to use than the actual skateboard itself but yeah it was a nice like second option for a mode of transportation mm. But to answer your question, the, the you know, I grew up in a small town in the United States in the state of Wyoming. And so the people in my neighborhood knew who I was from the very beginning. And it was a lot of young people. So that was no big deal. But it's it's when I went to school that, yeah, there were things, you know, I remember in grade two, like some kid tripped me in the hall and I fell and smashed my face on the ceramic tile and like had two black eyes and like a, a goose egg. And, you know, so I there were moments where I definitely experienced bullying because of my disability, but, but they, it wasn't like it was all the time. You know, I just, there's just a few stories of, of those sort of isolated incidents when it comes to students. I think the other example that I might give is, you know, when I got to uh, middle school and high school, I was like, you know, I was into choir and I was, I was a singer and, and my, my choir teacher was really amazing but I wanted to be in like the best choir. And, and I remember trying out and, and she said to me, she was like, listen, you have the talent to be in this choir, but you know what? There's a lot of dancing. So I think you should just be in this choir mm-hmm. instead. So there was like these little microaggressions of ableism that like, that I, that I experienced. So th- that was a little bit of the experience, but there was a lot of positive stuff too. You know, we've talked to a lot of people on this podcast to have the same way. It's not like direct discrimination, but that, as you said, that indirect ableism, an example that I use, Spencer, is I play sport and I used to try and play and they're like, no, no, you can just be the manager. And you're like, well, uh, I can actually play. When you tried to like change that, did you really have to advocate for yourself to start getting included in the things you wanted to? I did. And it's so interesting. I had the same experience. You know, I was really into musical theater and and I, I got into a play at, at the early start of my, my high school career, which was awesome. But then I kept going back and I kept getting 
you know, there's too much dancing in this show. So like, why don't you be the assistant director? Yeah. Why don't you be the assistant? And, and I was grateful that I was included, but, but I was like, no, I'm going to show you. So I kept going back every year. And finally the last year, my director was like, you know what? I've got this really cool play. I think there's a great part for you in this play. Obviously I want you to audition, but like, this is what I'm thinking. So yeah, yeah, I definitely felt like I had to constantly prove myself in that regard when it kind of came to musical theater. Did you nail the audition? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Uh, we talk often in this podcast, Spencer, about having role models uh, of somebody that looks like you, um, someone to look up to or aspire towards when you're a child. Um, did you see somebody with a similar condition or, or similar physical features that you could aspire to be, whether it be in your town of Wyoming or, you know, social media didn't exist when we were growing up, we're similar ages. So how did you find somebody to relate to yourself in your own disability? I gotta be honest, there was no one. Mm. There, there just wasn't anyone. You know, at that time, when we looked at disability, uh, you know, the, the messages that I was receiving from everyone um, was, oh, we, you don't want to be seen as disabled. You want to be seen as navigating the world just like everyone else. You're, you're, you're normal. So that's how I sort of pictured myself. And now as the world has changed, and I've gotten to know things, how awful that that was at the time. But that was the sentiment. So the first disabled person that I saw was Marley Matlin, who we know is deaf, you know, and she's an incredible actress. But for me, that's the first real memory I have of someone that's disabled. Now, my mom had a friend who was in a wheelchair, but, you know, she didn't have the use of her legs because she was in an accident. So the privilege of my disability is that I was way more mobile than she was. So to me, like there was no one and and I, I didn't consider myself disabled at the time, you know? As you said, there are... There... A lot of people out there with wheelchairs or paraplegics like me, so we've got legs that just kind of don't work. Do you get a lot of people coming up to you asking what happened and being really interested about your story? All the time. Like, I get questions all of What's the time. The, you get some dumb stuff, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, before, and, and I'm sure you experience this too, uh, to some degree, is like, you know, nobody even asked me my name first. They're like, what happened? How do you go to the bathroom? Can you have kids? Like, those are the first three questions that I usually get. And then how, how, how do I drive a car? You've got hand controls like Dylan, we imagine? Absolutely. Yeah. Can we talk about the age of acceptance? Because if a small child comes up to you, of course you answer your questions differently. What's the age, guys, where it flicks from? <laughs> this is maybe potentially a little bit inappropriate and you should know better. Let's discuss, you know, broadly in your own opinions what that age is. Where does it go from cute and understanding to Okay, this is a little bit insulting. Angus is asking this, Spencer, because he just had a child as well. So he's having, he's starting to have, going to have these questions. What do you reckon, Spencer? That's a good question, Angus. What do you reckon? Yeah, you know what? I think, I think if you're in middle school, you're old enough to slightly understand how the world works. Um, What's middle so school in the US? That, is that primary school? No, nah, it's like year nine. Ninth grade? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. like, like grade eight or nine, I yeah. think. I think, I think that's, that's like a good age of like, you know, you know, the basics, you know, of, of how to interact with other humans. Um, yeah. That's what I would say. But I mean, you know, everyone's different. I don't know. What you would know? you guys say? No, I'd say about 16 years old. I'll give leeway up to because you can't deter people from being interested, especially kids. So one thing that's really tough um, is when little kids come up and go, oh my God, what happened to you? Are you a transformer or whatever? And the parents reprimand them and say, don't ask questions, don't be yeah. rude. Because then when they go to school and see someone like them, they're scared to come up, right? Yeah. So you have to, in, you can't invite questions of kids and then go, you can't ask that because it doesn't really work that way. So 
I've never really thought about an age bracket, but I'd say about 16. Okay. Yeah. You're in the same ball bracket. If an 18 year old, someone asks, you know, if, if you if you're works the pub, or something, and I say, you've got <laughs> you to buy, <laughs> buy me a beer first, right? Before you find that out. There you go. Uh, another question. Yeah, exactly. You know, you use middle school, we use high school. Uh, another Australia US difference I'd like to know is we have in Australia the NDIS, it's the National Disability Insurance Scheme where we have, you know, certain uh, financial allowances for people with disabilities. Just to update you, Spencer, so, you know, when someone has a car accident, they get insured. There was nothing outside of that except car accidents or workplace accidents in Australia. But now anybody who has any form of disability can get, well, within reason, if they get approved, um, can get on the NDIS. But uh, I look at the US like your healthcare system with Obamacare, and it seems a little bit tragic over there. Am I wrong? How is the insurance scheme or the disability insurance scheme over in the U.S.? Yeah, you know what? You know, I moved to Canada 12 years ago, so I'm sort of out of the loop when it comes to the United States. And I don't even know a ton in Canada either, to be honest. I know, you know, we've got some amazing tax credits in Canada and there's a lot more help with like, you know, savings and that sort of stuff here in Canada. But to be honest, you know, my insurance is the same as everyone else's. And, you know, in Canada, we have socialized medicine. So everyone is sort of covered for the basic stuff. So when it comes to like driving and that, it's, it's all the same. I don't, there isn't anything to my knowledge um, that, that is um, different. For example, in Australia, the NDIS isn't, you don't pay to be on the NDIS. It's not an insurance scheme like private health cover. It's tax paid. Yeah, it's tax paid. So do you have that over there as well? Or do you have to pay to be covered for your disability within health insurance. Yeah, no, I would, I would have to be paid to, right. to be covered for my so every, disability. You have to yeah. pay. You pay for wheelchairs and everything, or can you get funding? Yeah, there, there, there is funding. Now, I feel really grateful that in my sort of experience and the job that I've had, I've been able to be an ambassador for an organization, and then that's how I'm able to get the wheelchairs for me. In particular, yeah. I realize that's a huge privilege. Yeah, same as me. To most people. I'm sponsored as well. Yeah. So yeah, we're very lucky. I agree. Yep. Let's talk about your transport as an adult. So you went from skateboards to wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, my, my doctors really wanted me to try prosthetics. Um, and so I, I use them twice a week with like a therapist up until about uh, sixth grade. And then they were just so difficult to use. And I hated them so much that I just trans transferred straight to a wheelchair. And then I've just been using that for the rest of my life. So we've had other guests who are amputees and obviously they have a stump, which we call it here in Australia. I'm not sure same as you potentially, mm-hmm. where you can attach a yeah. prosthetic to the remaining part of your arm and leg, and then you can use the prosthetic. But do you have enough of a stump to actually use prosthetics or is that what makes it difficult? Yeah. What, what made it difficult is, is I, I don't really. So they would, they like created this bucket that like sits on the top of the, the prosthetics. And then I would like fit my body in there. And then I would have to use crutches and I would have to swing my weight side to side and use momentum to push each leg forward with what leg that I have left. And it was, it was just so exhausting. And so it just took too much energy um, for me to use personally. I, because I, I, I watch you on TikTok and your Instagram, I didn't see any sort of other forms of transport for you because most of the stuff that you do on socials is you getting around using your arms. Um, so how much, if you could do a percentage of um, getting around, is it strictly in home, any wheelchair use? Have you adapted your home for your disability? Uh, how, how does it work? And then outside, are you always taking a wheelchair? Yeah. When I'm at home, I, I'd say it's a lot of it's on my hands. And then uh, it, it, as I've gotten older, I do use my wheelchair a lot more at home. And my wheelchair is sort of like a, like a step stool sometimes too. You know, it allows me some heights mm. to reach my counters and stuff. So no, my, my home doesn't need to be necessarily adapted um, in that regard. 
But when I'm out and about, absolutely, I can't walk on my arms. Um, it's just too far. So like I use my wheelchair anywhere else that I go. And then of course I have a car for any sort of long distance stuff. But yeah, at home, it's mostly on my hands and then out and about, it's always in my chair. This is a able-bodied guy asking a, maybe a stupid question. Would you take a piggyback from a friend? If you had like a friend and you're walking down the streets of Canada, would you hold on for a piggyback? Correct on the, on the dumb question. Yep. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Like I've, I've definitely done that. Would I, would I want to like go to a pub um, yeah. and have my friend carry me on his back? No. I mean, th- they would and they'd be, that'd be totally fine. But you know, one time we, we wanted to play that game chicken, you know, where you get on each other's shoulders. And, mm-hmm. and so my buddy was like, get on my back. And then he, I don't know if I can say this, but he was like, all I can feel is your ball slamming against my back. <laughs> you, like, can, you can say that. That's, that's the kind okay. of content we want. I like okay. that. Okay. I like that a lot. Okay. So then you kept, so, you kept the piggyback going then. That sounds yeah. good. That's right. For another 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think it could like for transferring, I know Dylan, it, there's certain circumstances that it's much more comfortable when you've got friends or family you can be able to do stuff to get Dylan around. Whereas if you didn't know somebody, you can't go, Hey, this is, let's do the formal way of getting me up and down stairs, et cetera. Yeah. Every now and then my buddies will pick me up in certain situations yeah. if, if we need to do so, but no piggyback is, it's not usually something I do. <laughs> can I ask him how much do you weigh? Yeah. Um, we're going to have to do the conversion here. Cause I'm, I'll I weigh it. about 80 pounds. Oh, 80 pounds. That's wow. It's about 50 kilos. No, not that much, bro. It's like 35. I reckon. I'm the worst at math. No. So. 36 kilos. What? Yeah, man. It's less. Oh, 2.2. And cause I'm not a big, I'm not a big unit. Like I've, I, so I, I was born with a tumor wrapped around my spine spencer. So I'm in a wheelchair, but, um, like I got broad shoulders, but my, my legs are a bit smaller than, you know, Angus's would be, but I'm 60. I mean, I play sport, but I'm 68 kilos. Yeah, that's light. He's in the off season though. He's just one. He's Australian. He's, he's punched a few beers. Yeah. I tell you what, he's I've, not looking as I've good as some, he did at the had court. Some, I've had some Maccas, and if you want to sponsor us, McDonald's. <laughs> um, I, I was going to ask. So, if you go out to a bar ride and it's upstairs, do you crawl up the stairs on your hands, or would you prefer to get a lift? Yeah, it depends on the season. You know, if it's if it's the, the summer and springtime, for sure, I'll just like walk on my hands up the stairs myself, and my buddies just carry my chair. Uh, but if it's in the winter time, it'll it'll depend because if it's like wet and slushy and all that stuff then yeah my buddies might carry me or you know the the, my pants and the bottom of my shirt are going to get destroyed Mm. from the salt and all the things that they they put on the ground so it just depends so just on the topic of your body i mean you must have incredible upper body strength do you work out yourself to be able to get yourself like you must want to stay in a certain physical condition to be able to for a long time into the future continue to be able to be physical right yeah, that that's the idea, right? Because you know, my shoulders is what takes a brunt of all of the the weight and all the activity that I do, and you know, I've I've torn my rotator cuff twice, so like it's and it's it's the worst surgery. Yeah. So I, I definitely do exercise every day in some capacity. Um, you know, I went from like lifting weights a lot to now just I just will go for strolls or um, do do just like a little bit of light cardio on my hands or or something like that yeah. to to definitely stay in shape. Uh, and that's more just preventative. So I, I will have my arms for the rest of my life. Use it or lose it. Great lesson for people right. with disability that are listening. Cause I've also had a torn supraspinatus in my shoulder and had a Rico oh. and I was effed. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't shower. I couldn't dress myself because Spencer and I use our arms all day. So the reason you stay fit and you'll agree with this Spencer is not to look ripped. There's an element of that, but it's also more so to prevent injuries because if we do our shoulders or triceps 
you're in a bit of trouble, aren't you? Yeah. When I had that surgery, I was 19. So I was super young and I had to move back in with my parents mm. because I, I was immobile. I couldn't use my arm. And so they literally had to, I could push my chair with one arm, but they literally had to like put me in my chair and take me to the bathroom and put me in the shower and all of those things. So yeah, if I don't have the use of these, I'm, I'm screwed. Have you always been so comfortable with your parents for that physical aspect of things? Because well, you've you have known, no choice. You've only I had to do it as well. You have no choice. But then, what about do you moving into care? Was there a certain comfortability with your body that you found, or you always had? I don't think it would be. I don't think it's any different than. So I have a, I have, my, I have a younger sister who's four years younger than I am who doesn't have a disability, and I think it's the same comfort level that she does. I don't think it's any different. Mm-hmm. Then, but I also come from a family that was very loving and lots yeah. of hugs and, and touching and that sort of stuff. So I don't know. It wouldn't feel foreign to me. Now, speaking of places that are inaccessible, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, <laughs> I couldn't imagine that being very accessible. So can you tell us about uh, why you made the decision to climb that mountain? I don't even know where I would start to even accomplish something like that. Yeah. So, you know, I was I was working for an organization here in Canada and part of my job was to speak on behalf of the work that they do overseas. And then um, that was, that was allowing me to travel 200 days out of the year, which was amazing. But one of the ways that I recharge is by spending time with my buddies. And so I was traveling so much and, and my part of my job was to empower people to make a difference with causes that they care about. And so I was feeling guilty telling audiences that that's what they should be doing when I'd never really done it myself. And then the second piece was I just wasn't getting enough time with my friends. And so I thought, how can I, how can I put those two together? So I came up with this wild idea to climb Kilimanjaro. Uh, and I thought it, would be, it could be like a cool 10 uninterrupted days of hang time with my friends. But also, why don't we raise a half a million dollars for clean water for East Africa, who at the time you know, was facing one of the largest droughts they'd seen in over 60 years. So that's sort of where the idea came from was, how do I take those two things and put them together? How tall is Mount Kilimanjaro? It's just under 20,000 feet or about uh, under 6,000 meters. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Just for our Australian audience, I'm pretty sure Mount Kosciuszko is like 2,200 meters. Yeah. And that's our biggest mountain. Is that right? That's <laughs> about right. That is crazy. How'd you do that? What did you do? Did they carry you? Did you walk on your hands? Did you train for it? Yeah. Yeah. So we, my buddies and I trained for a year beforehand. Um, and it wasn't anything like, some sort of special training. It was just like building up the muscles around my shoulders and just getting in better shape than I, than I was. Um, and then how we actually did it is, you know, I trained that I would do half in my chair on half in my hands, but then we got there on the first day and we're like, F like this is, it's 80% of my hands. And no wheelchair. Of my chair. You, you cannot get in the wheelchair up that. That would be steep as you'd fall out backwards. Well, here's the thing though. Kilimanjaro isn't necessarily a technical climb though. It's, it is more of a hike until the last day. So the steepness isn't necessarily the problem. Oh, it's just the terrain, the terrain. itself. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, after the first day, we realized my buddies are going to have to carry me for part of it. I'm going to have to walk for part of it. I'm going to use my chair for part of it. So we're going to sort of do all of the above. So hang on, they carried your chair when you weren't in it? So we had we had some porters, obviously, that were helping carry our stuff. We, we worked with an incredible team. Um, and so they would carry my chair uh, but we built this contraption while we were there because our guide knew right away. I think he had an idea that like it's going to be hard for me yeah, that we're yeah. anticipating. So we had this contraption made where they could take the wheels off my chair and they could fasten my chair to it, it almost looked like 
like a ladder, but without the, the steps in between. And then I could sit in my chair and they would carry me above their head. Wow. Sort of like, oh, like, like a in pharaoh. The, in, the, in the Roman yeah, day. Yeah, like an Egyptian yeah. pharaoh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. That's gangster. <laughs> I need to hang on. Exactly. Angus, why don't you carry me like that? That is cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's an unbelievable scenes. Have you got some photos of that that you've shared on your socials of that particular moment? I do. And actually just on TikTok last week, we shared a four-part series of clips from the documentary that we did around it so people could get a get an idea of what it physically looked like mm. um, to, to actually climb it. So yeah, I got photos and videos and all the things. Was there times when yeah. you wanted to give up? Talk about the pain during that climb. Yeah. You know, after the the, the third day, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of camping. Like that's yeah. just not my jam. Not many and hotels so, like, on Kilimanjaro. Cl- I checked last time I checked. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so like, it's not my jam to camp and then to climb a mountain and then, you know, sleeping on the ground in a tent every night. Although it was cool to have this experience with my buddies, like that was challenging in itself. But yeah, having to get up every morning and, you know, walk for five or six hours was, was exhausting. Um, but to be honest, the, my buddies were really great at keeping me going, but the, the, the part where I almost wanted to give up was when uh, we were getting towards the top on summit day and it was around just around 18,000 feet and my buddies got altitude sickness and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and I've never said this before, but it was the first time where I wished that I didn't have a disability that day because, you know, up until then my buddies mm-hmm. were physically carrying me and I thought, this is my opportunity oh. to carry my buddies yeah, and I can't physically do it. But, you know, my buddies kept saying, you know, we're really, what keeps us going is watching you walk. And so I thought, well, should, that's, that's all that I can do. It. Then yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Well, we should point yeah. out that documentary is called Redefine Possible, the story of Spencer West. And we'll put a link in our socials so people can check it out. And let's get onto the socials because when you got, we, and we've had two people who have sent specifically, we need to chat to Spencer West on our email. Um, hence why I oh. found you and hit you up on Instagram. And I told you that. You are prevalent on social media and TikTok has been a great way for you to break down the stigmas around your disability. Can you talk about the audience that you've got, some of the questions um, it's raising and some of the awareness that you've brought through socials? Yeah, TikTok has been a whole new platform. You know, I've been in the social media playground for the last 10 years, Mm. but in the last two months, TikTok is what really has opened me up to, to a larger audience, which has been amazing. You know, in January, I started out with 20 followers and I now have almost 2.7 million within the last two months. Yeah. Yeah. Put I your mean, hand up we, if you've got we more than 100,000 followers on what? TikTok. <laughs> That's unbelievable. We love TikTok, Angus and I, but that is unbelievable. That's huge. That's so good. Yeah, thank you. We, we And we're just blown away by the response. We were just looking tonight and, you know, we've had over 374 million views in the last two months, just collectively. It's it's like, it's it's blowing my, my mind. And and it's been cool because the content that people actually are interested in is not, not this stuff on TikTok that's just the challenges and the dances and all the things is people want to see how I navigate the world. People mm. want to learn about how I cook in my house, how I drive my car, all of those things. And and then there's also, you know, the dark side of social media. Everyone wants to know, do I have a penis and how do I have sex? And like all of those things, those invasive questions that come along with that. But I understand that's the social contract that sometimes mm. we inadvertently sign when we make our lives so public. But it's it's been really cool to be able to infuse, you know, sort of heart, honesty, humor, and a bit of awareness all at the same time. So we can have a laugh, hopefully still connect during this time when you guys are doing way better than we are when it comes to the pandemic. Um, We're still in lockdown here. So it's been a nice way to provide a bit of humor and I hope a bit of reprieve from the pandemic, at least here in North America, um, as well as to like help folks understand 
the lived experience of some folks with disabilities. It's powerful, brother. I mean, growing up as someone with a disability like you, there was nothing around, you know, that's, I work on TV and radio and that over here. And that's what I always say. That's why I love doing what I'm doing because I like sharing stories, but as a double edge to that, I, you know, I like, there needs to be more examples of people with disability in mainstream being normal. So people with disabilities can, you know, live the lives they deserve to live. You know what I mean? Do you feel that? Do you feel a bit of pride in that, that, you know, there are young amputees and young people with disabilities seeing you going, you know, I can do that. Yeah, that's the goal, man, is 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 to help not only raise awareness for able-bodied people to give them a glimpse into how we navigate the world and the barriers that they that we all choose to continue to perpetuate. So that's the first piece, but the second piece is yeah, to give folks an example. Like I similar to what you're saying, I would love to be like the first gay disabled host of a, a late night show here in North America. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't exist yet. And like I would love to be that person. And it doesn't necessarily need to have a huge focus on disability, all that would be amazing. But just the idea that that's that's a goal and a dream that could be attainable for anyone, I think would be a a really cool thing. It is funny because obviously you've got a great personality, people. I mean, for the last 30 minutes, we get that you're an amazing speaker, funny, witty, got great stories to share, and you would be great in that hosting role. But then you'd also be behind a desk. And I think that's interesting that you wouldn't be hiding your disability. I mean, you wouldn't, I'm not saying your show would be behind a desk, but traditionally looking at late night shows, would that normalize disability more by just being yourself from the chest up and people not knowing that? Or would you want to remove the desk and have you sitting in a chair and doing it that way? Which do you think is more powerful and impactful? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I would do a bit of both. Like the idea of what I want, what I would want the show to be is is more of an experiential show sure there'd be an interview aspect to it but i think the the thing that i've been chasing for the last 12 years is what does happiness actually look like for me you know i've never fit in the mold i didn't fit in the mold as someone with disability i didn't fit in the mold as someone that that is queer and and i didn't fit in the mold as someone that like chased a, a university degree and then got a high paying job and so i would love to be able to highlight folks, celebrities and, and, and folks alike that, that are chasing happiness. And what are those things that bring them happiness? And then how can we experience them together in front of an audience or in front of, you know, people at home? So I think it would be a mixture of the two. Um, so, so they get a full range of, of things. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. As I worked on radio now for a while and it's always nice when people, not, not so much anymore, but when I started would come up and say, you're in a wheelchair. I had no idea. I just liked you on the radio. And I was like, good to know. You know what I mean? Because they like you for who you are. Or disliked him on the radio. We should or, also point out. Or disliked me on the radio. Mm-hmm. Not many, though, Spencer, obviously, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I love that. Do you reckon North America's ready for a, you know, gay guy in a wheelchair to be having his own TV show? You know, I think they are because I think I think one of the challenging and beautiful things that has come out of the pandemic is that we've seen an uptake in the social justice movements in all aspects, from the from the queer movement to the Black Lives Matter to to even disability justice, and so I think we're we're, we're at a tipping point right now where we're starting to have it's having a bit more awareness and a bit more light than it did say twenty years ago, um, and and right now that feels to be a big focus. Even I I don't know how big the award shows are in Australia, but you know the Golden Globes just happened, and even Dan Levy although he accepted an award, said there's not enough representation uh, for people of color on this show. And so I think people are forcing this conversation now. And even when we look at like, even just blowing up on TikTok, like I did, I think people are ready for this, this experience and ready to, to start to learn about this. That, that's, that's my own personal thoughts, you know, whether it is or not, we'll see, but I, it feels that way. It's an interesting thing you said before as well, you know, definitely not downgrading talking about 
equality for gender and race and religion and the LGBTQI community. But it's interesting at all these talks, everybody always says those four things and you don't hear disability much, do you? No. I feel like the tide is changing. Do you reckon it will be mainstream soon? It feels that way. You know, I I think it'll be interesting to see where we land pre-pandemic because I think, you know, one of the things that that I've sort of been trying to, to let folks know is, you know, specifically here in Canada, what we're experiencing, what most people are experiencing right now to some degree is what it's like to not have access, right? And and I think for the first time, people are, are starting to get a real, real life taste of what that feels like. And then when the pandemic is over and when the lockdown is finished, you know, folks without disabilities will go back to a world with access. And um, folks like myself will go back to a world that, that doesn't have access. So I'm hoping that will provide a little bit of perspective. And, and just to jump back really quick too, um, Judith, uh, I think her last name is Human. She was um, a, a huge leader in the disability justice movement in the United States. She recently posted something on her Instagram and basically it was along the lines of, it's great that we are now bringing women to the table and people of color to the table, but did anybody stop to ask if the table was accessible? accessible. Yeah, great line. I might steal that. And, and I just... Lot. So I think we're moving towards that. I think it's, it might be a bit longer, but I think folks like us and the... And, the, the platform that you guys use in Australia to bring this message to people and to get to give folks a listen into what what our experiences are, I think helps perpetuate that, move that forward in a much faster way. Speaking of, <laughs> um, you know, making the media, obviously you need some high, pretty high profile friends. And uh, I was actually going through your Instagram before and I saw that we have a mutual high profile friend, um, someone that Angus unfortunately hasn't met before. He's pretty flat about it. Uh, Humility. The Duke of Cambridge, Prince Harry. He's, I saw him on your Instagram. You guys, mates. Yeah, I, I, you know, we, um, the organization that I used to work for did these large scale youth events and we used to do them in the UK as well. Prince Harry used to, used to come and attend um, and he was a speaker a couple of times. And so, yeah, we've, we, we've met a few times and he's, you know, he's just been a really nice guy. And anytime that we've been, and I make it sound like it's been all the time, it's been three times my entire life, but we've been in the same room, you know, we're always friendly to each other. Um, but that's really it. It's not as if I can pick up the phone and call him, see, you know, what are you and Megan up to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was lucky enough to get a handwritten letter from him after winning Wimbledon, um, which was lovely. Angus, uh, what about your interaction with Prince Harry? Uh, I actually did see him um, in London once from afar. He was, uh, yeah, he was doing a parade with his <laughs> army and I was standing on the street. So, you know, we've all had interactions, varying degrees. I love it. I'm not a royalist though. So, yeah. <laughs> good, good for you guys. Um, it's oh, good stuff. Dating with disability, mm. also being gay yourself, was that an extra hurdle, or were the gay community more accepting? I mean, you probably wouldn't Interesting know the flip question. side. Interesting question. I don't. I want to know this too. Yeah. No, I would say in my experience, it's been a larger hurdle uh, for me because you know the a lot of the gay community is really into image and um, looking a certain way. And although I, I do have the physique and, and again, that's a privilege that I'm able to, to work out and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been a challenge in, in multiple ways. Some people want to fetishize me. Some people are just into me emotionally. Some people are just into me physically. So it's been hard to sort of figure mm-hmm. that out, um, as, as to how I, how I make it work. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So, so are you single at the moment or do you have a partner? No, I am. I'm definitely single at the moment. Hey, come out to Australia. Some people listening well, to this. Mardi, Mardi Gras recently. On. Mardi Gras as well. You dominate there, Spence. 
listen, I've, I've, I've never come during Mardi Gras, but everyone says it's, yeah. it's insane. But, uh, you know, you are exactly right. The aesthetics in the gay community world is a certain ripped physique. A radio producer in Sydney starved himself essentially for three weeks in the lead up to Mardi Gras to have himself a certain way aesthetically because that's what's pleasing so you're saying you're struggling to find the right balance of the man who is going to find love in your physique and emotional and you can't do you do you find people are leaning towards one or the other yeah that's typically been my experience or just not interested at all mm-hmm. and that was so interesting when when I when I first started like really getting on the dating apps as they became a thing it's it's I felt like I had to do a second coming out because I, I didn't use disclose my disability because I didn't think it mattered. Mm. And then when I would tell folks that, that that I had a disability, you know, some people would stop talking. Some people would get angry. Some people, um, you know, it was a whole range of things. And so then I thought, oh, well, God, now I've got to start coming out a second time. So I've been putting mm. in, I, in my profile currently, it says your eyes aren't deceiving. You. I don't have any legs. Um, everything's fine. And not to worry. Um I can still pitch a tent, but I don't like camping. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that or I still have the leg that counts. One or the other. I've got the leg that counts, baby. Yeah, that's good. I was like, that that's is right. good stuff, Spencer. That is fun. Okay. Can, can I ask you about, you mentioned it before, in the fetish space, you would get some weird requests, wouldn't you, on socials and stuff? Yeah, I haven't got a ton on social yet. I mean, I'm sure that's that's on its way. Hmm. Um but yeah, on a couple of dating apps, um, yeah, people are like, can you send me a video of you walking? Can you send me a video? You know, so yeah, so there are some, and like, listen, no no shade for no. people that, that you know, every, everybody's got their kinks and things, but like, that's just, that's not my jam. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we were partners, that would, might be a different story. We could talk about that, but just strangers, no, that's, that's, that's not for me. And of course, people want to know what I look like. It's, I get that it's confusing, because my t-shirts are long and you can't see that I have a waist and I'm wearing pants and all the things. So my mates and I keep joking that like, if these, all these questions keep coming, they're just going to leak a nude photo of yeah, me. No, don't just leak like it. get it out there. Don't so leak it. Take a look and Spen- we can move on. Don't leak it. Only fans. Let's only fans it together and we'll make millions. <laughs> Bro, are you kidding? Do not leak that. That is cash. My, my buddy keeps saying that he was like 2.7 million people. Bro, that is money. That's that is $10 a person. Correct. We could retire. <laughs> Don't worry about your buddy. We'll do it through Listen Able, all right? Well, I'm going to jump forward, which I've been doing a little bit later uh, lately in the, our podcast. We have a, a segment called The Bowl of Uncomfortable, which is where people send us uh, questions that they feel would be too uncomfortable to ask you. And so we take the responsibility of it. But once again, we're trying to break down all stigmas of disability. Um, so this one comes from Nate, and Nate asks, what do you wear underneath the T-shirt? Is it underpants? Is it cut shorts? You know, what fits? Free ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I walk on my hands too much to be free ball. Good. But um, <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I wear underwear, boxer briefs. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, and then I, I also wear – I wear shorts. Um so yeah, short, shorts are the are, are the best uh, the best thing for me. Do you um, tailor? So, yeah, the I definitely wear pants and underwear. I do, yeah. So it, when it's not like short season, um, then I will I will buy jeans, and then I have this these lovely ladies that that own a, like a tailoring shop that always just uh, turn them into shorts for me. Nice. Well, thanks for the question, Nate. When when you see you know young people who are you know amputees, they might have a high level amputation like you do, and they hate their body image. What what's your advice to them? Because we have a lot of people like that who listen. This is tough for me. You know, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, self-discovery and, and working at that. And therapy has been really helpful for that. 
Um, you know, I, I, again, I keep coming back to my family, but I, but I say it on purpose because it's, you know, they were really amazing at my grandmother always called me handsome. My, you know, my, my, my family was always really good at, at helping to build that confidence, but I don't think, I don't think I'll ever, no, that's not true. I think I'm now getting to a point, And I, I think this happens and correct me if I'm wrong, whether you're able-bodied or, or disabled that like, as you get a bit older, you just start to be okay in your own skin. Um, and, and so for me, I think that's where I've started, I've gotten to, but it's, t- it's been a long road and it's been therapy and, and conversations with friends and all those sorts of things. So I don't know if I have any great advice for me, it's just always been support and being comfortable enough to tell the people that I surround myself with what I'm feeling. And, and, and oftentimes it's even my buddies will be like, Oh shit, I feel that way too. I think Spencer, what you don't realize is that uh, you've just said you seek therapy. And for a lot of people, that's a secrecy that, you know, I, oh, I don't, or weakness, especially in men, that they don't want to go and seek that professional help. So somebody might be listening right now going, oh, okay, well, this guy's openly speaking about going to see a therapist. So that might be enough. And thank you for coming on our podcast. We can't thank you enough. I'm going to give a couple of plugs. Uh, of course, everything is going to be shared on social, including the incredible TikTok, 370 million likes. Woof. Um, Redefine Possible, the story of Spencer West. That's the documentary, the book, great title, and we love a good title. Standing Tall, My Journey Nice by Spencer West. Um, we're going to put all the links so you can get more of the story of the man himself. Thank you so much for coming on Listen Able. We really do appreciate it. And uh, Come to Mardi Gras in Australia when COVID's yeah, yeah. done. Are you promising that? I'll march with you. We'll dominate. Yes. Oh, my God. I would. Yes, that's a promise. All right. Good. 2022. 2022. Watch Spencer out. West, look for him. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, brother. You're a legend. Absolutely. Guys, thank you. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. How good Zoom and technology. So great good. to chat. Um, he's got in a different great, countries. It's just hearing another accent was cool. What a ledge. He's got a cool life. Make sure you go check out his his gear on, on social media, on TikTok, because it's it's impressive. Also nice to have two of three people you can fully understand on this podcast. I mean, a lot of people are deaf or hard of hearing and we they rely on our YouTube and captions, but I think mean, 90% of people probably couldn't understand you to begin with, Dylan. What about how? So obviously people oh, you probably have noticed this on our socials because it's all, you know, the captions are done um, by a computer and I can't, my voice can't get picked up. Well, yeah, we have to change the system. We've got Steve, of course, the legend who's got, we've got over 25 episodes on YouTube now. He's pumping through. Yeah, get on your stove. Actually got some NDIS funding for a new computer. Legend. So Steve's Steve is legend. getting the captions. But yes, we did put up two Instagram videos during the week going off an auto-generated we caption. We tried it out. Which Instagram told us was going to be like brilliant. Yeah. M. Carey, mwah, me, voila. Dylan, it, it said, literally was going dog bath water. No, it was tap. one of the words. I said the word like past p a w s e d past, and I was like p s s z t. Just no Zzz. idea what you're saying. So we will rely on Steve for all of our captioning hey, going a, in the future. You ever parked in a disabled spot before? Um, no, I haven't. I get to park in the pram parking now, which is hey, exciting. I use that for the first time during the week. But no, I've always known. Take the moral and ethical side of it. I hate giving the government any more money than my tax. So I'm not taking a fine. So even if it was the most convenient park in the world and I was jumping out for five minutes, I still would never park in a disabled park. But it's not the case for some other people. And the big news story broke uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was about a, about a woman who parked in a disabled spot. She had MS and um, she took all these photos and put them up on social media of what people wrote on her car when she parked there. Because when you got MS, you can still walk a bit. Um, she can, some people can't, but she doesn't use a mobility aid like a wheelchair or a scooter. And uh, people wrote, on her window, like... Yeah, so wrote a note. Yeah. Took the time to write a note. Forgot your wheelchair, D-head. 
and stuff like that because they didn't think she was disabled. And that's really hard for people with more invisible disabilities than, say, someone like me. It's even happened to me, though. Oh, really? Yeah, like I've, I've pulled up in a disabled spot and had loud hip-hop music played. I was probably 23. Mm-hmm. And someone knocked on my window and said, you flog, get out of this spot. It's for people with disabilities. And I said, oh, is this wheelchair not enough for you? I'm pointing to my wheelchair. Oh, so you were still, still sitting? Still in the car. Oh, my God. Because that... I was young and yeah, I had yeah, cool yeah. music on. They, they assumed thought... all disabled people were old, <laughs> oh, no. you know, squares. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have heard the story before of um, someone, was it might have been even um, Moana and Vinnie Hope, but they've got a disability sticker, but Vinnie doesn't like to use it because... Um, she says it's for my friends who at my school because uh, Vinny doesn't want to necessarily walk long yeah, distances. Yeah, she's got a non-physical disability, but physically she's yeah. uh, pretty able. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do feel for people. Have you yourself ever seen somebody park in a disability spot, yeah. thought, hey, I'm going to make a stand here, but then gone, I don't know what they're battling or suffering? Oh, I've seen people get out of their car and I've run the risk and they you are definitely it. using their grandma's pass. Oh. And then I have a go at them and then they fake limp off. No way. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty bad. bad. DM us your stories if that happened. You can uh, do it on Instagram or you can shoot us an email. At Listenable Podcast on Instagram or Listenable Podcast at Outlook.com. Uh, of course, we'll keep the conversation going on the socials, which is exactly where we want you to head before we get to the next episode. That's because we're going to have somebody on to talk about the NDIS, but we're not having someone from the NDIS Just on. Just a participant. But why are we doing that? Because we don't want the government spiel. Do you know what I mean? We, we've got someone who's an expert in NDIS, has worked with, is part of, and also has benefits from, so sees all aspects of the uh, NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, but they're not like the salesperson. Yep. They're not the person who's going to go in spruiking how great this is and the new initiative. We want the real questions from you guys. So there's going to be a post up during the week coming on the Facebook page and the Instagram page. And it's going to ask you, what are your questions that you want to know about the NDIS? Now, you can be an able-bodied person like me and you're curious. Yeah. Or... To the point where you can be like, it's pretty much like the doll that is handouts for disabled people. Give us that question. Sure. If you're an able-bodied person who thinks, yeah, it's all BS, it's just more cash for people who don't need it, send it in. How does it work with my tax? All of these questions that you want answered with your life in NDIS, we will get answered from an expert on the next episode of Listen Able. Plus, we'll have another guest, and here's a taste of what's to come. Yeah, yeah, so I can dress myself. Um, I can transfer in and out of cars okay. Um, do not get me to wear a pencil skirt because <laughs> in getting up into a SUV that I did last August because I fell out of the SUV and hit my head on the concrete Ooh, and spent three weeks off work. Not good. <laughs> safe to say I've retired pencil skirts. Yeah, <laughs> Because, um, yeah, it just buckled my knee and my knees buckle all the time, which mm. makes me have dates with the floor. You talk about dating, I do date. It, <laughs> my, my partner's the floor. Um. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Until then, stay safe. Get you. Listen Able was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull. Listener.